You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's episode, we are furthering our discussion on baptism that we briefly touched on last week. So if you haven't checked out that episode yet, uh, be sure to do that. Uh, We do have our church's baptism service coming up this next weekend, which is kind of why we're touching on this subject, but um, this was a really uh, educational and interesting conversation for me. I know there's uh, probably a lot of misconceptions and, and just questions in general about baptism, so hope you guys enjoy this one. You know it's going to be a good podcast when the first sounds are the Bible. Hey, all right. We like we like Hey-o. the Bible pages turning. That's My mom thing. called me the other day specifically to tell me how how different Bible pages feel than regular paper and how they, they do for sure and that they're very thin. They are indeed because if they were thick, your Bible would be very heavy. Right. Would be a big I like the feel. I like the sound. I think yeah. it's a little cathartic. Yeah, you anyway. can you can tell the difference between you know regular paper and Bible Don't turn pages. Turn this into an ASMR thing again. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are... Stacy's using initials. We are in the Bible. I told you what that meant. I know. Anyway. No, I didn't. Not accurately, anyway. Um, <laughs> we are in the Bible, which is a good place to be for this podcast, and in general. So... Can't go wrong. Can't go uh, wrong in the Word of God. True that. So, uh, we are talking about baptism. That's what we talked about Sunday as a whole. That was yeah. It was in the title, so, you know. Yeah, not just baptism, but believing, belonging in baptism. That, also in the title. Of, yeah. So let's talk about those things. Yeah. Which, it, would you, you know, like to? So the, the core reality that we focused on was that all who belong to the body of Christ proclaim it through baptism. And I don't know that uh, um, I made it as clear as I would like it to be, so hopefully we can clarify some of those things today. Uh, but baptism... Uh, in its nature is uh, is an act of obedience, which signifies the passing from death to life by God's grace through faith in Christ, and which identifies the disciple with Christ as a member of his body, the church. And so while baptism is um, considered by many to be like a, a second-tier doctrinal issue, it's not, um, we don't have to have perfect agreement on that to be, uh, to be saved, to be to be Christ followers, um, but it is pretty important, and our understanding can perhaps, um, well, more than perhaps, can uh, restrict our ability to worship together on a regular basis. But it doesn't keep us from from worshiping together in general as brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a lot of. Uh, it's not really surprising to anybody I think who is listening to this that there's a lot of uh, confusion. Regarding mm-hmm. baptism, a lot, when we mentioned that, we kind of alluded to it previously, that um, there are a lot of different takes within Christianity uh, at large, and there are a lot of different, um, um, I guess, perspectives within the Protestant church, and, and even within what we would consider evangelicalism, um, which is a more um, biblically uh what, what do I want to say, a higher view of Scripture uh, where we, we focus heavily on the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture and take our cues from the Word of God as our authority rather than um, from some other source such as church tradition mm-hmm. uh, that, that all is, uh, is something that is uh, second to the authority of Scripture. We're, we're not ever going to elevate those things to the same level, uh, whereas the Catholic Church puts them 
equal. The the the, right. the uh, traditions of the church and the scriptures are equally authoritative um, within the Roman system, and uh, Protestants, of course wholeheartedly reject that, that it's the authority of, of Scripture alone and not the traditions of uh, any popes or, or teachers um, that actually hold authority in our lives. So as we look over the history of baptism, um, there are some things that are pretty clear. There are some things that become less clear as we go along and we try to, to uh, figure out where this fits within our our personal framework. And so it's that framework that ends up causing a lot of the confusion. When we see uh, baptism in Scripture, there really isn't as much in there as there are in a lot of other things. There's not a, a definitive place where Paul says, and here is how you do baptisms right, and what right, it looks right. like and so on. So we see some descriptions. The The majority of what we see in reference to the word or, or words that are translated from that baptism root the majority of that has to do with uh, John the Baptist in the Gospels. Uh, after that, the majority is the speaking about baptism, uh, the, the accounts of people being baptized, uh, commands to be baptized, and so on in the book of Acts. And then only a handful, really, by comparison of references throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's uh, I think the, the word or the derivative words are used maybe a hundred times, I think it's like 95 times in the NIV uh, in the New Testament. And of course, it's from a Greek term, so it's not used in the Old Testament. But there are some allusions uh, that, that folks would e equate to it. Um, and I think those are valid. We see the, the, the roots of baptism predating Christianity. And even going back, many would say going back to the ritual cleansing of the priests in in. Uh, in the Pentateuch, kind of growing from that. Uh, I don't know that there's any definitive history on some of that that says, yes, this is absolutely where it comes from, but we, we have a lot of good studies that, that make it seem pretty obvious. It seems like it's going that direction, recognizing that there are, are ritual cleansing and bathings in, in most pagan religions. Um, it's not something new. It's not the idea of baptism itself isn't unique to Christianity. Uh, but there is, but Christian baptism is unique within that that greater concept of immersion or dunking. I think looking at a history of it, it makes it easier to understand why there are so many, for lack of a better word, versions of baptisms. You know, whether I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of of the Catholic Church where you know you sprinkle water on the baby's yeah. head or a full submerge, submersion and other. Um, other religions and, and I, I you know we do a full submersion you call them donuts right, but, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm thinking of because I have to say it in every podcast of my big fat Greek wedding <laughs> when, there's one point in the movie where this non-Greek guy wants to marry the Greek girl and they have they he needs to get baptized to do that yeah and so the father says it's your lucky day to be baptized in the greek orthodox church <laughs> so, so for the greek orthodox right. it, even in that pop rep, pop culture reference right there, it's a reflection of the greater culture right so that as a greek you would identify as part of the greek orthodox church right being part of the greek orthodox church would require being baptized into it right the the sign or identification with that church and that so. baptism scene in the movie is i think in just some kind of hot tub or big tub or anything and um 
he gets dunked multiple times and they mm. say something in between each time. And so it's just interesting to me how many variations there so are. So now I'm going to have to actually break down and watch this movie. You're really it's missing like, out. It's, it's like 20 it's years very old now, quotable. But, you know, so I'm very quotable. It. But yeah. yeah, so it just it's interesting to me all these histories. And like you said, even even uh, pagan cultures and, and non-religious groups have their own versions of some type of cleansing. So it's interesting to me how they all come together slightly differently. And it does, to see that history does kind of help us yeah. a, a little bit in understanding uh, how we got to this point, but also understanding what the Bible actually means by it. So if we look back uh, to to the period in between the Testaments in particular, but even into Old Testament times, when a Gentile would choose to convert and become Jewish, they would by doing that, they're renouncing everything of their past. Mm -hmm. They're renouncing their old religion, their, you know, even their family. Everything, all their ties are, are now essentially severed. It doesn't mean you have no communication, but, right, but right. You're, you are now declaring, I am a Jew, and I've, I am becoming a Jew. And so the things that would be required would be to become circumcised for, for men. Uh, you'd be circumcised, and then um, you would also have to offer ritual sacrifice. But along with these things, they added this idea of baptism. Mm -hmm. um, and so this immersion would take place that demonstrates or signifies, it represents the, the dying to the old way and a new life here. So there's, there's a declaration. John MacArthur, I think, said it well. He said that, that in, in doing this, the Gentile proselyte would essentially be declaring, I recognize that apart from God, I deserve death. That's all I deserve is death, and apart from him, I have no hope. Therefore, I'm identifying with that death and then a new life in the nation of Israel in, in this way of doing it. I think it. that's an important word, identifying, because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I very well could be, it, it, baptism is a proclamation. Hmm. It's not a, a method of salvation. Correct. And so there's, it is very much an identification with Christ and the church. And so we see that in the pre-Christian things, there was an identification. There was not the idea that something magical happened, right. except for in some certain pagan religions where you know you'd have incantations and different sure, things. Sure, sure. But but in Jewish history, in uh, in the Hellenic practice of of using that as an identification with a new philosophy or a new philosopher, uh, when you become a disciple of a new teacher, that practice was strictly identification. It was symbolic. That period of time where Christ walked the earth was a Hellenic time in, in Israel. The, the influence of the Greek was everywhere. It was the lingua franca. It was the, that was what was, even though Latin was used in so many things for the Roman Empire, the, the international business community, so to speak, was using Greek. That was the international language that everybody spoke. And, and that joined people. So in using their customs, their cultures, that same concept would have applied. The, the Platonic way of thinking, all of the different, different Hellenic mentalities that came along with how we view life, mm -hmm. including the things that influenced early, early cults and false teachings, such as Gnosticism, a lot of that came from Greek influence. And so with those things in mind, we really need to see baptism 
Christian baptism in the New Testament as flowing from that combination of Greek Hellenic culture and Jewish culture. That's where it came about. And so when we see those practices, understanding how they saw it helps us to understand how Christians at that time saw it. So there are those, including the Catholic Church, who see this as a sacrament, that this is how you obtain the, the grace and mercy of God. This is how you find salvation. Uh, I think that is something that the New Testament specifically teaches against, uh, not per se in baptism. We don't have Paul say baptism doesn't save you. Right. Um, we have Peter appear to say baptism does save you. It's not really what he's saying, but it can come across that way. Um, and, and so many believe that. Uh, specifically, we see um, the, the three groups that I know of, and I'm no expert on what others teach. So if I'm wrong, you know, somebody who is from that background can better explain that than I can. Um, but the, the Catholic Church teaches a baptismal regeneration in that when you baptize the infants, uh, when you baptize someone in, in Christian baptism, it identifies them with the church, and it negates or, or wipes away original sin. So the process of doing that is a regenerative thing. It is the baptism itself, the ritual that has a spiritual, um, there, there's a, an actual causation that goes along for, with it. Strictly for babies in that sense? Uh, that, that would be their normal practice is to do that with babies. But I, my understanding would be anybody who converts later, comes gotcha. to Christ, okay. and then is baptized at that time would be the same kind of thing. It cancels original sin. Okay. Now you deal with your own choices right. as you go away, That's but the inherited okay. sin in your nature is now dealt with. Gotcha. Uh, and I... I could be missing nuances there, but that's the basic gist of it. Uh, the Anglican Church, an Episcopal Church, the Episcopal, Episcopal being the American version of the Church of England, um, basically the same thing, uh, has historically also taught um, a baptismal regeneration, very similar to what the Catholic Church was. But that's not surprising during the Reformation. That wasn't a true Reformation. Uh, there were some great things that happened in the history of the Anglican Church, but um, its inception did not come like Luther or Zwingli or Calvin or any of the other great reformers in seeking to restore um, a, a scriptural uh, standard or a purity to the church. It came because the king wanted to get a divorce and the pope wouldn't grant it, so he said, we're going to just make our own church and basically kept all the stuff from the Catholic Church except for the authority of, of Rome. Um, that, in a nutshell, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but in a nutshell, that's what happened with that Reformation. So I can't really logically include that with the rest of, of what we see. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the Presbyterianism uh, of Scotland is not even close in its heart, in its essence, to what we see in the Church of England, um, not even remotely close. So anyway... Um, that said, evangelicalism arose within the Church of England that um, was very contrary to the mainstream teaching. We see the, the Methodist movement and the Wesleys and Whitfield all coming out of that. So many great preachers that, that took a high view of Scripture. Some of the, the folks like a Thomas Cranmer who um, established 
so much of what would be carried on even into Reformed liturgy later on uh, with, with a variety of other churches, uh, even, <laughs> even Reformed Baptists will use a lot of Cranmer's liturgy, that all came from the Church of England. So it's not like it was completely without merit. It just didn't start in a, what okay. I would consider a, a noble or, or meritorious way. Uh, and I, don't, I think it would be pretty difficult to find, this maybe is offensive, but well, I'm pretty good at being offensive apparently. You shouldn't have tuned so. in if you did. Uh, but, uh, but at this point, I think it would be very, very difficult to find sound discipleship of any of any significance in the Church of England or the Episcopal Church, it, it, we've just gone so far into the religion and less into the Scripture um, that, that we've kind of created a lot of things. The queen's going to come after you. Yeah, I don't want that. Off with your head. Don't want that. So um, anyway, we see the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, and then the Restorationist churches that came out in the 1800s. Uh, in, in the early to mid-1800s, there were a, a lot of churches that... Um, that came out in response to uh, largely what was seen as the degradation or the excesses of, uh, of the Orthodox Church, the accepted church. And so you see things like, uh, like the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, coming out of that period. And, and in that general period, you see you know, Adventists coming out of there, um, you know, the, the Restorationists such as the Campbellites, uh, which would later on be known as... Um, the Church of Christ and the Christian Church coming out of there, seeking to restore in their in their perspective uh, primitive sort of um, of Christianity to get back to the, what they saw as the Church of the New Testament. Um, but I, I think they really missed it on baptism because they went to a believer's baptism that was also essentially a baptismal regeneration. Mm -hmm. That there is no, they, they recognize that the baptism has, is of no avail apart from faith. So baptizing infants didn't make any sense because they can't have a proclamation of faith. But with the faith in their baptism, it's the baptism where you, where you receive the grace of God, where you are regenerated. And so um, they see baptism as necessary to salvation. Not baptized, not saved. That, that's how, how it works. Uh, we believe, as is the mainstream of evangelical Christian teaching, that, um, that baptism, we believe in, in what would be considered maybe a, a baptistic um, perspective on it, that uh, the Bible teaches believers' baptism. In other words, the baptism is a result of your belief in Christ, your faith in Christ. So it's a declaration, uh, a proclamation, as you said, uh, that identifies you with the death and resurrection of Christ and with his body. Apart from that faith, your baptism is just getting wet. You might as well just jump in the lake and take a swim. Uh, and there's no benefit to it. Sounds like my literal nightmare. But the, yeah, the, um, the baptism itself has no spiritual impact in that it doesn't bring you grace. It doesn't win you points with God. It doesn't change who you are. Uh, it doesn't bring some, some blessing um, in a mystical sense. But it is, um, it is the sign and the seal uh, of your redemption that it, it doesn't do it. But it is an act of obedience that signifies it and shows that and identifies you with the church. So that identification with the church, historically, um, 
even during the Reformation time when um, Luther and Calvin in particular and, and, and others along that, that same line, not including the Anabaptists, um, who rejected infant baptism altogether, they held on to that infant baptism as a sign of the covenant, as a, 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 an identification with the church. And it became really, to a large extent, a political thing as much as it was a spiritual thing. Uh, and Lutherans and, and Presbyterians are a little different in their perspective on it, and I couldn't get into the nuances all that well because I'm not as well-versed in those things as I am in, in our own beliefs. But while they baptize infants, we call that pedo-baptism, the baptism of, of infants, um, whereas what we teach, believer's baptism, is known as credo-baptism or credo-baptism uh, based on your faith, your creed, your profession of faith. So... Um, as they do that, they're viewing baptism a little bit differently in that uh, I think Lutherans and Presbyterians are pretty similar. Presbyterians for sure, because I was just reading up on, on from their own stuff. Uh, this is a sign of the covenant that uh, it's similar in some ways to the child dedication that we might do in the, a parent making a pledge to raise a child in the church mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, only this is a sign of that covenant that God will act on. And then later, this is why those churches practice a confirmation, later as those children grow, they need to have faith of their own mm -hmm. uh, and they need to... to uh, as the Presbyterians would say, improve on that baptism, but that is a a required entrance into the church that they would do from children. Uh, Lutherans, uh, I know, they um, they would take that and equate it in many ways to the Old Testament circumcision it was a sign of the covenant. I don't know if Presbyterians do that same thing uh, or if they would consciously make that connection, but they do see it as a sign of the covenant. So uh, I don't know if that's uh, really, you know, if it's the successor to that, circumcision's gone away, and so now we um, take this sign on. But for um, for that idea... Uh, to me, that, that's the be one of the best arguments for not doing it because Paul specifically condemns circumcision. Not that circumcision in itself is evil, but if you are being circumcised, you are seeking to keep the law and therefore you're not receiving the grace. You're undermining the effect of grace. So if that's what he's saying about circumcision and I'm equating this to circumcision, then it seems like that's a pretty good reason for me not to use this ceremony right. to have that same kind of a covenant sign. Um, but we, we share more in common belief-wise with those um, believing paedo-baptists than we do with uh, those who teach a baptismal regeneration, simply because we believe that, that salvation, as we think the Bible is replete with this, that salvation is by grace alone, period. No other option, not your effort, not your signs, not your religion, none of that. By grace alone, through faith alone, which is specifically not, not tapping on this, <laughs> which is specifically not related to our activity to bring that about. Right. <clears throat> At the same time, as James teaches very clearly, and I think Paul teaches it as well, but more subtly because he's focusing on the other side of the coin. As James teaches, if your faith doesn't act, if it's mm. not acting on what you say you believe, right. then do you really believe it? Right. You know, I, I really trust this parachute, but I ain't jumping out of the plane. Right. Uh, so 
the trust comes, or the trust is demonstrated when you make that jump. So the same thing in our believing, our faith is what takes hold of the grace. The grace is what saves us. Well, we've talked and we about demonstrate that. that by acting. Right, and we've talked about that before, you know, how your actions are, I mean, the old saying, actions speak louder than words. Right. So you can say one thing, but if you're living a totally different way, then ain't nobody going to believe you. Right, and, and realistically, those actions have more to do with our assurance than with right. our salvation. God already knows. Right. God's the one who quickened our hearts and made us able to, to see. He removed the veil from our eyes. So our salvation is something that is all God, completely. When we believe, that's from God. When we receive that grace, that's from God. Our ability to understand it, that's from God. So he already knows. He's already made that regeneration and salvation at the point of our faith, at the point of our trusting in him. We need to see that change Mm -hmm. in our lives. And if we don't see that change in our lives, then we need to seriously question whether we have believed. Right. Ergo, baptism, if we are unwilling to be baptized, which is the command of Christ, we see it throughout the the New Testament, if we're unwilling to be baptized, that should draw our faith into question. But the baptism isn't what saves us, it is the act of obedience that follows. So with that in mind, and I, I know we've been touching on it here and there, who then... I don't want to use the word candidate, but who is the appropriate candidate for baptism? That's a very good question. The appropriate candidate for baptism is anyone and everyone who has received Christ as their Savior and Lord and is wants to identify with his death and resurrection as their death and resurrection so that they are raised to a new life in him and in so doing identify with his body, the church. Therefore, every Christian... Every believer needs to be baptized. But you don't need to be baptized in order to be a believer. You need right. to be baptized because you're a believer. Right. It, it follows. Who should not be baptized? Anyone who has not made that profession of faith. So infants obviously cannot do that. So they should not right. do that. Uh, not chil- that they have much of a choice in that. Children, as, you know, as young children, it's kind of the same thing. Right. Uh, there's, there is an age of... You know, we talk about age of accountability, and it has a variety of different meanings, and I don't want to open a theological can of worms with that. But but we can recognize that there is a point in life where we get stuff and a mm-hmm. point in life where we don't. Mm-hmm. So my three-year-old doesn't understand. My five-year-old maybe understands, maybe doesn't. My seven-year-old maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. At some point along the way, and, and I would have to assume that's different with every individual, sure. just like every other cognitive development, I think our spiritual development's the same way. There is, there is at some point when they get it, mm-hmm. when it clicks. If there's any doubt, then we probably shouldn't do that baptism. When we get it, and 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 the spirit of God has grabbed our hearts to the point where we're, it's like, I have to be baptized. I can't not do this. It's a little bit like you know when I'm really in love with that person in a way that's bigger than just being in love and I want to commit my life to that person. The idea of not getting married just doesn't function in my brain. That is not not an option. I have to do this. I have to give myself to this person. And I want everybody to know it. If I'm not willing to make that commitment for a lifetime with everybody knowing it, 
well, then I got some serious problems in this relationship that need to go, you know, we need to get out of this right. or get right. I think that's another important thing that you touched on. And, and one thing I've really always enjoyed about our baptisms here at Real Life is that we do them at a very public beach. Right, yeah. So um, it is a declaration publicly. Right, you know, it's it'd be one thing, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but to, you know, just have a typical, you know, private church service and yeah. maybe invite some family members or whatever, but just, you know, it's, it's held within here. But to to have it at um, the beach, especially this time of year when there's just tons of people around and people are looking over like, what are they doing? And, and you know, yeah. we sing a song and, and do all this. That's always been very cool to me. Like, hey, yeah, we're excited about this. We're excited about right. following Jesus. And, and I think you it's a celebration. On, right. Yeah. And I think you touched on it um, Sunday. The idea then, I mean obviously it's it's a very it's a personal thing as well as a declaration i think right. but it could also potentially attract others well yeah and it, to, and it is it's personal Christ. but it's also corporate this right. is an act of the church right. that we do this together right. to to make this identification and so while there's a public declaration people see this weirdness what are you doing dunking them in the water right. is there, are, you know do we need to call the police is this some kind of an assault it's a red flag day. but uh we've done a lot of red flag days <laughs> uh but this is the group doing this together and uh i was just talking uh to one of our church members who was baptized a few years ago petrified of water you know who this person is the uh and, and it was a red flag day. <laughs> and it was it was a green flag day that turned into a red flag day in like five minutes yep and anyway, this person is petrified of water and still wrestles with that, that, that boy, I, you know, I should not have been so afraid. But really, that, that fear of the water is part of the submission of baptism. You're surrendering to Christ. Because all up that, that entire week before then, it was my mom, guys. <laughs> she was, she... I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So to get there and up to the very last second, I don't yeah. think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. To to overcome that, definitely not of her own, you know, strength and and right. whatever. I, I get what you're and saying. And yet not like, being coerced at all. That right, was all an right. internal by the yeah, Holy Spirit. No, no one was pressuring her. Right. You know, you do what you do what you want to do. Absolutely. Blah blah blah. So yeah. For and her, so for her to do that because she knew this is what she wanted to do. That what right. she needed to do in her relationship with Christ to identify with His death and resurrection, to identify with His church, even though she was petrified. Mm -hmm. That submission is what makes the obedience all that it is. It wasn't just submission to Christ. It was, but it was demonstrating that submission to Christ in submitting to the tradition, the the the, the ceremony, the symbol, mm -hmm. and in a practical sense, surrendering, submitting to me as the agent of the church. Right. I'm controlling her destiny now. Right. We're going down under the water and bring you back up, and you're releasing yourself right. to that and surrendering to the water, I mean, to the, the circumstances that are causing you this fear, and you're saying, okay, this is hard, but I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. That's almost better, you know, because, and, I, and that's one of the reasons, actually, the, the difficulty of it is part of why um, we don't just immediately baptize today right. the way we see in the New Testament. Right. In the New Testament, when you 
when you were doing this, you were when you identify with Christ in His church, you were put out of the out of the synagogue. You lose your status in society. There's, you know, before the Roman persecution started, there was Jewish persecution. There was immediate persecution. So people weren't just lightly saying, "Oh, hey, let's go do this." Right. Uh, that was extremely rare. Today, because we are in a even though we're in a post-Christian society, we still think of ourselves in many ways as a Christian society. So people get baptized because it's the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. We don't want that to ever be the case. Now, obviously, I don't know what's going on inside a person. I can only right. judge the fruit. Right. But we want to make sure that we take the time to clarify with all of the confusion about baptism, what this is, what this means, that this isn't just an emotional decision. You know, I heard a good sermon or I went to a Christian concert, got caught up in the in the music and the worship and emotionally gave myself to Christ and got baptized. Or even something you need to check off your list. Like It's a, another time to not get baptized. Right. If you're checking it off your list or you're doing it so that you can join a church and you're not really convicted about it, but it, I got to I got to check off their requirements. That's the wrong time for or you to for your own personal, you know, like, let's say you you got a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Oh, I need to get baptized. Right. You know, oh, <laughs> we've had some folks that, that have done that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but it's it's I, I think to to that could be the impetus for you to right. search your soul right. and to do that. But but to use it as some not, sort of like a lucky charm, right? right. Yeah, that's, that's not what it's for, and that's not what it accomplishes. You're not gaining points with God. He's not going to answer your prayers more because of this. In fact, He honors our integrity. Mm-hmm. So if we if we do this with a lack of integrity, trying to essentially, we wouldn't say this out loud, but if we're essentially trying to manipulate God, right. that's not going to please the omnipotent and omniscient God who knows all of our motives and can send our soul to hell. That's really not where you want to be. So if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, man, it's better to, to just not and and focus on what we see in the Scripture. Along with that, I think being re-baptized or baptized because I'm recommitting my life to Christ, that's also contrary to the concept. That if, right. if, it's, if you're baptized in a way that, that you would consider to not be a valid Christian baptism, Let's say you you know you were baptized in, as an infant and you now recognize that the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches uh, a, a believer's baptism mm-hmm. because of your relationship, and you're saying, okay, that baptism wasn't really my Christian baptism. That's what I, I didn't did. have a that's choice. That's what I did. I was baptized as a baby, and then again yeah. when I was 12, 13. Right. So then that's a valid reason to be baptized because it's really your initial baptism. Um, but if I've been baptized, or or if I I was baptized. And I was old enough to know what I was doing, but I didn't have an understanding of it. I wasn't in a relationship with Christ. I was baptized for the wrong reasons. And and I'm accounting that as an invalid, not a Christian baptism. Then being baptized again makes sense because right. it's, like it's not really being baptized again it's being baptized right. for the but first time but it's not like you need it you do it as like a recharging type yeah thing. and there are folks that do that uh folks from some different backgrounds where where they believe you can lose your salvation you have to go back to your first works and, and be rebaptized because you've lost your salvation now you have to identify with that again that's the wrong reason it's not what we see in scripture uh if if i have been baptized i've fallen away i've walked away from the lord and now i'm coming back being rebaptized that's not the picture that we see this is an initial identification with Christ in his church and we need to take that for what it is we certainly when we walk away we need to recommit rededicate but we're not being reborn 
We've already been reborn. We just need to get hold of daddy's hand again because we let go and walked off the path. But he's never, he's never let us out of his sight. We've never stopped being his child if we were his child to begin with. We've gone over our time here, but I, I definitely appreciate talking about the uh, little bit of the history behind baptism and, and you know what it is and what it's not. So Hopefully I think... some of the things we talked about today clarified some of the things that uh, maybe I wasn't as clear about on Sunday. You're too hard on yourself. We just want to make sure that truth gets clearly communicated. I agree. So as always, um, you know, we don't have to be done uh, talking about this. Right, absolutely. So so if anybody does have any uh, questions or or comments or anything, uh, feel free to leave them on Facebook. We're doing live stream right now, so you can can leave your questions here, and I will uh, force Rich to answer them later. Uh, I will be excited to answer them. Good. You don't have to force me. <laughs> oh, good. I was going to offer cookies, but now I won't. Um, you can still offer cookies. <laughs> you can send an email to somethingreal at reallifeonline.org, uh, or, yeah, just visit our Facebook page. Um, if you you know attend church, send a message to Rich or myself or the church page, and somebody will get back to you because we definitely want to keep these conversations going. Indeed. So thank you guys for listening.